to talk to you about exploring some themes in the Lord's Supper, communion. Exploring themes in the Lord's Supper or communion. One of the great things about having communion so many times a week is that uh, for me personally, it's made me search the scriptures so that I could find um, some other themes associated with the practice of communion, the Lord's Supper, and explore them in the scriptures. So I found it um, beneficial to me personally so that, because sometimes I think, especially in younger years, we took communion and we understood it in part as much as possible, but maybe we didn't fully grasp exactly what Jesus was doing when he told us to do it, you know? We go through the, the outward practice and we're sincere in our prayer and in our application and, and uh, reading the scripture at face value, it's, it's good. Um, it, it, um, it, it encourages us to grasp on to a right relationship with Jesus, to realize the efficacy of his blood, the sacrifice of his body on the cross. Um, but then in my mind, at least, there is always this lingering question like, is there something else? Like, is there something else that I'm needing to grow in, in terms of my understanding of the why Jesus instituted Passover. So one of the things that really helped me um, as, as we went along is studying the idea of Passover. And of course, you've heard linkages as we've celebrated the Passover even here in church. And uh, where, where Jesus apparently is celebrating Passover, it's a Passover meal, uh, at the time of the institution of the practice of the Lord's Supper. And probably uh, at the point of the third cup, which we know as the cup of redemption, that that's where Jesus holds it up and said, this is the blood of my covenant, the new covenant in my blood. And so that really gave us additional context. So we thought, okay, at least it, it, I'm just sort of explaining my reasoning. So, okay, well, this is great. This really helps me associate. And as you heard Pastor Ron talk about the matzah, uh, you know, matzah bread, you know, unleavened, so it doesn't rise on its own. There's no pride. It's uh, the self-effacing nature of Christ. Uh, it's the willingness to submit to God and to remain in a state of holiness before him to not be contaminated by the sin of this world, to um, take upon himself the stripes uh, and the piercings that we often see, at least in modern uh, forms of matzah, uh, that are indicative of, of Christ's suffering on our behalf. Uh, he was uh, pierced for my sin, amen, and uh, he bore the brunt of uh, the fire of God's wrath uh, that was justly poured out upon him, though he was an innocent victim, uh, yet God's wrath, God chose to pour out his wrath on Jesus, who stood in our stead as our great sacrifice, and then, then as our high priest offers himself without spot to God, as he is both high priest and sacrifice, 
and uh, just beautiful pictures that really uh, expanded my horizons and gave me more understanding of why we celebrate communion. Why do we uh, do this in remembrance of him? So it, it really helped me uh, grow in my understanding and knowledge. And we ought to all grow in our understanding and knowledge, right? Uh, we should seek the Lord for further wisdom about what he intends for us. So I found myself hungry to learn more and to consider more the interconnectedness of Scripture. You know, um, as you know, I, I tend to like thematic structures. I like the large picture uh, a lot of times. Um, and so as I was considering the larger picture, I looked again at Mark 14:24, which says, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. An important saying of Christ, of course, in other forms in the, in the synoptics, this is the new covenant in my blood, uh, that sort of thing, which is poured out for many very uh, important linkages there to the Old Testament practice of pouring the blood out uh, before the Lord of the sacrifices. And we should always be mindful that what the fancy term is dominical sayings, that sayings by the Lord are not necessarily just created brand new out of thin air. You know, Jesus' life, ministry, and word were based upon Old Testament, upon the Scripture, right? Uh, old fools are slow of heart to believe everything that's written in the Psalms, you know, uh, written in the Scripture concerning me and beginning at the Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, he explained to them everything in the Scriptures concerning himself in Luke 24, right? So Jesus' life and ministry was based upon the Old Testament Scriptures, and so we need to, um, as, even as New Testament believers, you know, the Bible, say, the Bible says the, the, old, or the New Testament bid me to come to him. This is not the scripture. I mean, <laughs> there's a saying that says that the, old Testament, the New Testament bids me to come to him and obey him and gives me wings to fly, amen? The Old Testament didn't quite give us the wings, right? It told us what to do, but it didn't give us the wings. Uh, but the New Testament, because of the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the application of the blood of Christ, that we are now those within whom God writes his law in our hearts and he gives us wings to fly. Hallelujah. But here we have Jesus saying, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And so we should be mindful that these weren't created out of thin air. Uh, well, while the institution of the Lord's Supper as an ordinance to be practiced by the church is new, it is like the new covenant. It is actually based on or informed by the Old Testament. It, like as we make the analogy to Passover and that sort of thing. Jeremiah prophesies about the new covenant and says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And Hebrews 8 tells us, of course, this also applies 
to the church age. So Jesus' words about the new covenant are founded on the scriptures. And as we've heard, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and instruction in righteousness so that the man of God can be complete, mature. Amen. And so what the question, it begs the question, what scripture was Paul talking about when he wrote to Timothy? Well, the New Testament was not written yet, not compiled yet, it was being written, but he's talking about the Old Testament, right? That from a child you have known the scriptures, he said to Timothy. What scriptures? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant scriptures. So all scripture, meaning the Old Testament, is given by the inspiration of God. And so certainly another foundation for communion, as I've said, is the Passover meal, as that that is what Jesus was sharing with his disciples when he instituted communion, the cup of redemption, and he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Essentially, Jesus was recapitulating the Passover meal, and the bread and wine were assigned an expanded meaning and a different application, a slightly different application. The Lord uh, recapitulates, he restates it in a different fashion of practice. The bread and wine of Passover were assigned their ultimate prophetic fulfillment and representation in Christ's crucifixion and the inauguration of his new exodus of the human race out of the bondage not to Egypt, out of slavery, not to Egypt, out of the penalty of sin, out of, out of the penalty of sin. He takes us out of the bondage to sin and out of the slavery to sin. Jesus provided through his body and blood the new exodus for anyone who would place their faith in him out of the bondage to sin. So, not unlike Israel at Passover, in communion we commemorate or proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? And in fact, the piece of bread, which was the middle piece of matzah in the typical Passover ceremony, the piece that was hidden and that is brought forward at the end, the piece of bread that Jesus identified as his body is called the afikomen, essentially a Greek word that probably comes from uh, Aramaic, which means that which comes after. It's an allusion to his phrase, until he comes, right? And so it's all connected in with the Passover. But now now to the the salient part of what I want to say, what then about the words, this is my blood of the new covenant, as it says in some of the other passages. Where in scripture do we find a correlation between this phrase and scripture or one very close to it? And here we now go to Exodus 24. Exodus 24 is the place where Moses said, on behalf of God, this is the blood of the covenant. So I contend that Jesus is alluding to the story in Exodus 24 when he says, this is the blood of the covenant. 
Exodus 24, 8, so Moses took the blood and splashed it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Isn't that amazing? This is amazing. If you don't think so yet, hang on. It'll get better. So let's look at the whole passage. I just kind of want to read it together, okay? And it's going to be on the screen. Exodus 24, verse 1. But to Moses the Lord said, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from a distance. Moses alone may come near the Lord, but the others must not come near, nor may the people go up with him. So there's this separation. God is declaring his, his holiness. Moses came and told the people all the Lord's words and all the decisions. All the people answered together, we are willing to do all the words the Lord has said. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Early in the morning, he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and arranged 12 standing stones according to the tribes of Israel. He sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls for peace offerings to the Lord. So Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls, and half of the blood he splashed on the altar. He took the book of the covenant, and we'll explain that in a minute, and read it aloud to the people, and they said, we are willing to do and obey all that the Lord has spoken. So then Moses took the blood and splashed it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron did something very significant happens. Before they were kept at a distance. Then God gives Moses the book of the covenant, the first instance, incidentally, of, of, uh, of inscripturation in the Bible, where God breathes and Moses writes, okay? But in any case, he gives them the book of the covenant, then Moses declares it to the people, and they said, we're gonna do everything that God says to do. Then Moses offers the sacrifice, he takes half the blood, puts it on the altar, and then sprinkles the rest of the blood on the people. And then something significant happens. A representation of the people are no longer limited at the base of the mountain. But because they are sprinkled with blood and have agreed to the covenant, they can now come up the mountain and meet with God. So God allows the representation of all of the nation of Israel, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up. That's powerful. And look at verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear like the sky itself, or like lapis lazuli, like sapphire. But he, that is God, did not lay a hand on the leaders of the Israelites, so they saw God, and they ate and they drank. There was a meal with the Lord. 
prior to the shedding of blood and the commitment to obey the covenant and the hearing of the covenant, God did not allow those people to come up lest his presence consume them. But after the shedding of the blood and the commitment of the people to obey the words of God's covenant, he allows them to come up, or at least a representation of his people, to come up and they eat and drink and they see God. They're living in his very presence. It's a picture of the new covenant era in which, and in the new covenant era, God says in Jeremiah, I will write my laws upon their hearts. And no one will say, you know, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. Why? Because Ezekiel says, I will live in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And one day we're going to sit down in a great marriage supper of the Lamb, right? And behold God. Well, what is the idea behind Jesus saying, this is the, my blood? One of the ideas is that who did they have, who did Moses and, and, the, and the, the elders and, and, and Nadab and Abihu and Aaron, who did they have dinner with, right? Each other and God. And they saw him. Who is presiding at the table when Jesus is eating with the reconstituted 12 tribes of Israel, his 12 disciples? Who is he eating? Who are they eating with? The implication is Jesus is the Yahweh, the God of the banquet, right? Great, beautiful picture that gives us a greater understanding. Well, there's a little bit more. From Exodus 20 until chapter 24, God gives them the 10 words, the Decalogue, 10 words, the 10 commandments, and then the various points of the law of the covenant up to this point in the narrative. They contain God's uh, dictates, his covenant documents with his people. In, in ancient Hittite literature, this is called a a suzerain covenant, S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N, a suzerain covenant, wherein a great king conquers a people and then gives them instructions as to what he's going to do for them and what they are expected to do in return, and it's all written down in a document, in a treaty, in a covenant. And this is the model after which God's instructions in Exodus from chapter 20 to 24 are written. They're written after the style of a Hittite suzerain covenant treaty. And in fact, the book of Deuteronomy is actually written out exactly in the format of a suzerain covenant. His covenant starts with the standard opening in Exodus 20, identifying the suzerain king and declaring no one else, no other gods are to be honored by the vassal people. I am the Lord. You will have no other gods before me. I'm the great king. You'll have no other kings, right? And so he demands loyalty from the start and identifies who he is. In these treaties, the terms of the covenant are written down 
agreed to in ceremony and declaration, and copies of the covenant are deposited in the temples of each of the parties. Right? So when you have uh, um, uh, covenants between like Ramses II and, and another, uh, another king that uh, was based up, up in Turkey, uh, when you have those kind of covenants, it's a, it was a parody covenant, but nonetheless, they took solid copies of each of the treaties and they would put them in a box and, and on display in the temple of their particular God showing their, uh, their uh, fidelity towards the covenant. Well, what does, what does God instruct his people, Moses, to do with the with the book of the covenant, right? The, not only the, the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, but also the book of the covenant. And he says, you're, you're gonna make an ark, right? And that's the ark of my presence, and inside it, you're going to put the words of my covenant. And then he instructs them to build the tabernacle of Moses, and later on, the temple of Solomon, and in that, they place the ark of the covenant in which is their copy of God's covenant. The only difference between God's methodology in doing this and the, and the common Hittite suzerain-style vassal treaty was that God himself <laughs> cannot be held in contract by the people. They can't say, well, you didn't pull up, fill up your bargain. You're into the bargain. God himself, Hebrews says, because he could swear by no greater, swore by himself, right? And so he upholds his end of the bargain because of, the, uh, of his own faithful nature. But that covenant is placed in the ark and placed in the temple of Yahweh. And so the covenant is written with a preamble, a historical prologue, stipulations, provision for the deposit of the treaty in the temple, and get this, periodic reading, public reading of the covenant so that the people could, be, could keep in mind what their responsibilities were to their sovereign king. No wonder God gave us his word so that we could read, keep reading about our responsibilities to our heavenly king. Amen? This is the blood of the covenant. Wow. And then a list of gods as witnesses. That's what I was alluding to. The list of gods as witnesses. Well, God so-and-so does so. God so-and-so. God so-and-so. Well, actually, the Lord himself is his own witness because there is none other. And then there is a formula of curses and blessings, as I said, the outline of the book of Deuteronomy. So the Sefer Habarit, the book of the covenant, was deposited in the ark. We, just like the, the covenant was placed in the ark and then brought out and read and understood, we are to have God's word written in our hearts. Amen? Just like 2 Corinthians 3, 2, you yourselves, and by the way, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So in the temple are the words of the covenant, right? That's why he's gonna write, our, write his laws on our hearts, because we're the temple. So his words are gonna be kept inside our hearts. 
excuse me for yelling. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Amen. Amen. I will write my law within them, Jeremiah 31, 33. Well, this points to the idea of a banquet, and I just want to touch on it just very quickly. Isaiah 25, uh, verse 6. All right, so the Lord commands armies, who commands armies, will hold a banquet for all the nations on this mountain. At this banquet there will be plenty of meat and aged wine, tender meat and choicest vine. And on that mountain he swallows up the shroud that's over all the people. So God has an intent, as we know, also the marriage supper of the Lamb that I mentioned. God has an intent to have a banquet with us. The beautiful thing about what they experienced on the mountain was they heard the words of the covenant. They assented to them. They could go up the mountain because of the blood. And when they got up on the, blood, uh, up on the mountain with God, they were able to see him in, in some aspect of his glory and not be consumed by his holy glory. And they ate and drank and saw God. Well, communion should be like that to us. We are called to come up. We are called to be covered in the blood. We are called to have this banquet of bread and wine with God and see him in his glory. That's the beauty of communion in this context. So the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal which we enjoy with the Lord. He gives us his pledge we give him ours to be faithful to him. They ate and drank, and they saw God. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for, for listening today.